Hola, listeners. Hello. Como estas? Hi. I uh, probably should have learned how to say hello in Italian. Uh, ciao? I guess that's ciao, yeah. Um, ciao, listeners. And welcome to Funk Radio. So there, there's this fairly obscure genre of music from really, I mean, like the very, very end of the 70s throughout, I would say, the mid-80s or so, called Italo Disco. And to kind of give like a, a broad overview of this genre, um, basically, so by 1979 or thereabouts, um, you know, disco had already, as we've discussed before, you know, disco had already been starting to fall out of style to some extent. Um, you know, obviously it exploded into popularity in the late 70s, but I feel like it fizzled out fairly quickly, at least in terms of like the phenomenon mm-hmm. aspect. So by 79, it was already kind of falling out of style. And the the thing with, with disco was that um, like the club scene was really becoming popular at that time. And that's really where a lot of that music grew in popularity. So the thing was that even though disco was kind of falling out of favor, people were still wanting to go to the club and dance to music. So as club owners or whoever started looking into, you know, something new that they could play, they noticed like, hey, there's a good number of music producers in Italy that were, you know, churning out this new kind of dance music that took some elements of disco, but it was also adding more emphasis on like drum machines and synthesizers. And, you know, this is like the very beginning, Um, not the very beginning, but it was very, you know, in terms of like the public consciousness, I think. Mm-hmm. I think this is really where that those instruments started to become more popular. And so this new t- sort of dance music started to become really popular in Italian dance clubs. And uh, it didn't take too long for independent distributors around the world, like, you know, in the U.S., for example, to take notice of this. And through, you know, their own kind of underground network, the people were sharing music. They're like, hey, this is really good. I want to play this at my club, too. Mm-hmm. And so by the early 80s, this music kind of became an underground phenomenon in clubs around the world. And as I mentioned a minute ago, you know, it really only lasted until 1987-ish. Some records I saw said that it kind of lasted into the beginning of the 90s. You know, I'm, I'm sure there wasn't like a hard end date on that. But the point of that is just to say that like it didn't really even last a decade, more or less, mm-hmm. um, which is probably why a lot of people haven't heard of it. But also, I, I think another reason... You know, another thing to go into this topic knowing is that, like, for the most part, this wasn't really, like, top 40 radio hits that we're talking about. You know, this is music for the club scene. So, you know, not to say that any of this is, like, not enjoyable to listen to. I'm just Mm -hmm. saying that, like, it's not necessarily the same. It's not going to follow, like, the same formulaic structure you might expect from, like, you know, top 40 hits. Yeah. Anyway, so the this genre, which at some point uh, kind of gains the name Italo Disco, was uh, really, you know, looking back on this, this is really kind of serving as the transition from disco music into genres that were just up and coming at the time, like synth pop, house music, um, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Now, another a side, a side note I wanted to make with that was like, I don't want to claim that this was like the only genre that was pioneering this sort of sound. Now, in a way, it was definitely one of the few that was doing that. Mm-hmm. But, you know, you you also had other pockets of people, uh, you know, other parts of the world who were also experimenting with synthesizers and electronic music um, early on, especially through the 70s. 
For example, the the Donna Summer song, I Feel Love, from a couple of years earlier, 1977. Mm-hmm. A lot of people, and I'm sure you know this too, that a lot of people consider that to be like the landmark song that was like, okay, here's synth music or electronic music like hitting the mainstream like for the first time. Um, and even earlier than that, you had groups like Kraftwerk in Germany who were pioneering electronic music even in the early to mid-70s. Um, it's... Uh- it's interesting you mentioned Donna Summer, actually, uh, and I was going to mm. ask you about this later on, sure. but I guess this is a good tie-in. Um, Donna Summer's song, I Feel Love, one of the major composers on that song was actually Jojo Moroder, mm-hmm. who I know we've talked about on this show before. He was kind of a pioneer of both disco and sort of the early exploration of sort of electronic and synthesizers. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And after Googling his name, he is also Italian. So I'm curious if there's a bit of a connection there. I think there's, I think so. Some, some records I, I read in my research said that he was one of the pioneers of this genre. Mm-hmm. Now, I, I didn't include him in the, in this list simply because I feel like, I think from what I saw, it was like one song he did early on that was like, could be considered this genre, but it wasn't. Mm-hmm. If I feel like in the long run, it's not one that people point to as like, oh yeah, that's th- that doesn't really demonstrate the the genre like in the grand scheme, you know. Yeah, um, he's not like the poster child for the genre. Exactly, but I I do yeah absolutely I do think that he is worth mentioning at least as a footnote in here. Okay. Um, because he, like you said, he really was a a, a literally a pioneer in that very early electronic music. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so uh, so this I think this will be fairly interesting. Um, so I, I compiled a list of six songs to go through. This is by no means like exhaustive in terms of like every song that was in this genre, but I really tried to pick out ones that at least people who are familiar with the genre, you know, can recognize today. Before we start with the list, um, I wanted to ask, you know, either with the artists that I wrote down here or just elsewhere, have you had any prior? experience with this genre or no honestly not really i mean not any that i would immediately recognize as coming from this genre yeah like maybe i've heard some songs that were kind of were qualified as this italo disco but i wasn't mm-hmm. really aware that it was considered some sort of separate subgenre, and it wasn't maybe just considered disco yeah and i think as we listen through i think we're gonna hear elements of disco but i think it's also gonna be fairly clear at least in some cases like that it's kind of skewed off from that. Mm-hmm. Personally, my familiarity with the genre, I've never like fully researched it until this episode, but I've had some like baseline familiarity with it for probably five, six years. Oh, wow. Um, it was kind of fun to bring in a slight amount of familiarity, but also learn a lot of new stuff too. So mm-hmm. hopefully, uh, hopefully this will be interesting to, to you and the listeners. So I guess to get started, I, you know, I had said that, you know, this movement started around 1979 or so, but the first song I think that really solidified this as being kind of like a new musical movement, if you will, was a song called I'm Ready by the group Kano in 1980. Now, this group was from Milan, Italy, and they're considered really one of the first popular Italian disco bands. And they, I believe they made stuff through, really through, I think, through the mid eighties maybe. Mm. But this, like I said, the song was really kind of the first one that not even, not only put them on the map, but just kind of put the genre on the map as well. 
So uh, I want to go ahead and listen to uh, a clip of this song. So I know you said you hadn't listened to any of these yet, Kyle, so I want to make sure you have an opportunity to as well. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's interesting. It's got I don't know how to describe it. That robotic voice sound that's similar to um oh my gosh, I'm spacing right now. Uh the Herbie Hancock song, um Rocket. Oh yeah, yeah. That kind of like robot synthy sound. Uh I don't know if like we we talked about in the prior episode, I don't know if they did use did that using vocoders or how they created that effect, but uh yeah, yeah, it actually was a vocoder, and this was one of the early song. Like, not you know, it's not like a you know world famous song that used it necessarily, mm-hmm. but this is it is notable uh, definitely for its use of a vocoder because obviously this you know that was still sort of a new concept at the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, but a, a, as you mentioned, yeah, I mean, you can see some similarity with disco there at least a little bit. If nothing else, I think you can see a common thread in in the sense that it would be good for like dancing at the club. Yeah. Uh, cuz it's fairly repetitive in a catchy way I suppose. Mm-hmm. They're probably my favorite group from this list and they do have other songs that are a bit more palatable in the sense that like I don't necessarily want to listen to a club song. Um but I did want to mention that, you know, chronologically as kind of being the first to kind of solidify the the genre. Mm-hmm. Um so in, uh, a couple years later um in 1982 there was I guess it was yeah, it was a duo of two music producers um, who called themselves Klein plus MBO. Um, and they produced a song called Dirty Talk. And they were also based in Milan. They, uh, the, so the two guys, their names were Mario Boncaldo. Um, he was Italian. And then uh, Tony Carrasco. I, I, he seems like also Italian, but he has, at least, if nothing else, he was living in the U.S. Mm-hmm. Um, at, at the time. Um, and so I, I don't know the full story of like how they met or what their deal was in terms of their collaboration, um, but they were basically two Italian guys. And um, so the the song "Dirty Talk" was their single from their debut album called First, um, which, like I said, was released in 1982 um, from Zanza Records. And um, you're not going to hear any big record labels here. I mean, this is all fairly independently made stuff, mm-hmm. small time record labels and all that. So that's kind of fun. So this song in particular actually is, is sort of interesting in the sense that it's considered by many as being an early inspiration for the Chicago house music movement in the eighties. I, I don't really know anything about house music. I mean, I can pick it out if by listening to it, but yeah. I never, I don't know any history about it, but I didn't know that at least in the U S that Chicago was like a breeding ground for that, which is sort of interesting. Hmm. Anyway, so that's interesting. Let's go ahead and listen to a clip of this one.
one sounds very 80s synthy. Oh yeah, for sure. I get some like um what's that song? Tainted Love. I get I yeah. get some vibes of that in here. Yeah, exactly. Um, Thank you. I was trying to pinpoint like you can kind of pick up that kind of drum machine that drum machine effect that was used a lot in the 80s that mm-hmm. kind of like I forget the term for it, but it's like a like a a reverb that is like like a reverb that's paused or something so it kind of makes like a sound oh like where it's slightly offset or some um yeah like like uh the drum the drum solo from in the air tonight it's like the most quintessential use of that effect uh yeah i can't i can't think of the term for that but yeah I, i think you're definitely right so you can see definitely you know even by by now in uh 1982 by the way tainted love the soft cell song came out in 81 so around the same time um yeah you can definitely tell that like synth was really starting to take the center stage um with music Mm -hmm. like this and you know you absolutely saw that with pop music as well in the 80s but um you know this is pretty early on so i I would say this is probably one of the early songs to really make use of that yeah and uh, it's a catchy song too it's pretty good Mm -hmm. so two years after that there was a guy named Ken Laszlo who released a song called Hey, Hey Guy in 1984. Uh, he was originally from Florence, Italy, and he was a singer who had started his career as um, in 1980 um, performing, I guess, in like local clubs and places like that around where he lived. So this song came out in 1984 from Memory Records. So, so Ken Laszlo actually produced several other s- songs and hits even throughout the 80s. And the thing that was impressive to me is that he's actually apparently still making music today. Oh, wow. I'm trying to remember. I think the most recent thing he had done with it was in the last five years, maybe. Mm -hmm. Anyway, let's go ahead and listen to a clip of this song, Hey, Hey Guy. getting like aha vibes from this okay yeah i can i can get that for sure i think of any of the songs in this list this is probably the most it would be the most likely to you know get on get some radio play um yeah it it does seem more in in the vein of you know like pop music of the time Mm -hmm. yeah exactly It, it sounds very uh pop music of the mid 80s yeah fairly interesting kind of catchy you can kind of tell that by this point in the mid '80s that they've kind of mastered the use of the synth. Mm-hmm. It's not just like a oh, let's just throw this cool effect in. It actually kind of can be like the the main part of the instrumentation. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's kind of the the the, the bedrock of the um, the instruments in the composition. Yeah, and it's interesting to me too that like this is only four years after the the Kato song, but you can, you can see how very different they are even within, you know, we, co- we kind of consider all these within the same genre, but you can see there's definitely some variance between mm-hmm. kind of the sound that they're going for. And not to say that, you know, those two are trying to achieve the same sound necessarily, 
but it, it is you you can definitely see there was more almost confidence if you will in terms of using synth like as a in like a pop sort of song now uh that same year um so there was a there's a group called baby's gang and this is a baby's gang is kind of fucking weird because instead of having like a a singer or something you know as as a normal group would um the, the vocals there's it's a choir of 13 school children including I, I guess a young popular singer at the time uh denise bonfanti so all of their songs are sung by this choir of children and it's weird because like i really like their songs even though it's i also recognize that it's really weird that th- this is the vocals that we're getting yeah i think i think partially the reason i like it a lot is because i just i think the instrumentation is there with the the synth music, you know, at, at, you know, the common thread throughout this whole discussion, I think the the music itself definitely carries it. So they, uh, so obviously the, these these children are not writing the songs. Um, so they're, most of their songs were written by Italian singer Ivana Spagna and music producer Larry Pinignoli. It's me. <laughs> the song that we're gonna play uh, is a song called Challenger. Uh, it was included on their only album called Challenger, um, which was released the next year in 1985. So this was a single that was released earlier on. And that's that's a kind of a common thing you'll see in this genre too. You'll see a lot of like uh, uh, one album wonders, if you will. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Should we play a little clip of this? I think we should. So in listening to this, I don't know why I'm getting justice vibes. Oh, that's interesting. Uh, it's probably it's probably the Kitty Choir. And so I Googled it. There's a famous song called That's How the Good Lord Works, which is sampled, sampled a lot in different genres. And it's a choir singing, you know, That's How the Good Lord Works over and over. Mm-hmm. Uh it's a fairly famous sample, and it—I don't know why—it reminded me so. This that's this song reminded me so much of that. Huh. Interesting. You know what it reminded me of is um the that Pink Floyd song, another brick in the wall. Um, oh, oh yeah. Because there's some of that in that song as well, and for some reason, yeah, it kind of yeah, makes yeah, me yeah, think yeah. Apparently, they liked exploiting children for music in the eighties. <laughs> yeah, it's a. Well, I think another brick of the definitely wall definitely a, a, a unique choice. Uh, I mean, no matter what genre you're in or you know, what kind of music you're making, it's just something you don't really see most of the mm-hmm. time, aside from like children's music. Yeah, it's just it's it's funny listening to like a choir of children singing alongside this very synthy eighties song. Um, in the following year, this is 1985, the group is called, uh, I, I assume it's a group. Some, some of these, it's hard to tell whether it's like one guy, just like a music producer or, you know, a few people. Anyway, they're called Cyber People. Um, and the song I picked by them is called Void Vision. Cyber People was like kind of like I said a minute ago, where like you get a lot of artists that don't really stick around for that long. 
um, cyber people was a short lived act. Um, but in, in their fairly short time, I think it was only a couple of years. So they were around, um, they produced three very important singles in the Italo disco movement, Polaris, Dr. Faustus and void vision. The one we're going to listen to in a second. Um, so this particular project was spearheaded by producer Alessandro Zani. Um, he was behind several other acts within the genre as well, which is sort of interesting because you start seeing a lot of like common thread between a lot of these, you know, one and done sort of groups within the genre. It's almost mm-hmm. like s- some of the same people start collaborating with each other and trying different things within the same genre, but then like pulling out and then like coming right back in with a different name. Huh. So it's sort of interesting. And um, so uh, let's go ahead and listen to a clip of Void Vision. This one seems like the most, what's the word, ethereal, I guess, to me so far. Yeah, that's a that's a good way to put it. It's um, it is also completely instrumental uh, as well, which yeah, you know yeah, that, I think lends itself fairly well to the club scene. Mm-hmm. So this song, this single, was released in 1985 um, from Memory Records. Now, anyone who's listening closely may realize that I've already mentioned memory records a couple of times that record label is actually co-founded by Alessandro Zani two years earlier, 1983 along with producer Stefano uh, Kundari. So like baby's gang, at least some of their songs was on this label, Ken Laszlo. And in addition to that, and then this guy who co-founded it was also like heading up some of these specific projects as well. So I think it was a fairly um, small world in the genre, at least for the most part. Yeah. Um, now Stefano Kandari, I'm trying to remember, I think, oh, it's actually in the next one. I was going to say, I thought he did something as well. He was actually one of the duo of the next song we'll listen to. So this duo was called Kodo. So it was a duo between him and another musician called Anfrando Maiola. And, uh, so this was another very, very short lived act produced by Alessandro Zani. And, uh, so Kodo, they were kind of known for writing songs, not only for themselves, because they didn't do that much of their own, but they also wrote songs for other Italo disco groups, um, including Baby's Gang, as one example. So they, they at, at least under this particular name, they were doing a lot of work for like other groups, more or less. Mm-hmm. So this song called Visitors that we're going to listen to, um, this was a single released in 85, uh, again, from Emory Records. This is considered one of the be- the most popular and best-selling Italo disco songs which I find particularly interesting considering that this is like toward the end of this genre, or at least getting close to it. Mm. Um, so I, I guess it's cool to see even in the later years of it, you were still getting songs that were considered kind of like landmarks. Yeah. So uh, let's go ahead and listen to a clip of this song called Visitors from 
know why I'm getting like video game vibes from this. Oh yeah, I, I can hear that for sure. And I know we've never specifically done an episode on, um, was that chiptune music? Yeah, yeah. Surprisingly, I feel like we probably should do that. Um, I'm gonna write that down. You know, not not to say this is chiptune music, but I, I think you know, obviously the time frame is the same, and so you get a lot of uh, common themes, I guess. You can definitely see that the genre has matured by this point. Um, oh yeah, absolutely. And like and like you said, this is one of the more I guess radio friendly, commercial friendly songs, especially for being an instrumental song. And you do, I feel like you also at this point in the mid eighties, you're already seeing like the, any semblance of disco at this point is pretty much gone. Yeah. Which exactly. is sort of interesting. It is interesting. Like you said, the difference between the, the first song you played, I'm ready by Kano to this. And you can see the elements of disco slowly like fade away and be replaced entirely by yeah. synth, uh, drum beats, uh, a lot, more, a lot more reverb. Oh yeah, yeah. And kind of, it kind of was the laying the groundwork for a lot of the sound that mm-hmm. a lot of even pops music from the '80s ended up having. Yeah, I, I think even in this fairly short time period with this few songs, you can kind of see a shift in music that is kind of. I mean, obviously, this is a, a fairly specific genre, but like, I feel like the sounds. And this like transition is also very emblematic of just like music in general during this time. Mm-hmm. I, I think the shift was probably more um, probably more gradual for pop music. I think it probably, you know, for for it to be heavy on synth, probably I, I would think that it probably tiptoed a little bit to get there. Yeah. Whereas with some of these lesser known genres that are kind of used in a more specific setting, I think they were more willing to you know experiment and you know make something that they really liked without worrying about like oh is this gonna you know hit our sales numbers because of radio play or whatever so yeah it's sort of interesting yeah that's a good point it, it's like almost like this genre was like the laboratory for what the 80s a lot of the pop 80s sound would become because Mm-hmm. Like you said, they weren't driven by sales or mainstream popularity. It was just like, hey, let's make some good dance music. And I mean, honestly, a lot of pop music evolves from the dance music scene, evolves from instrumental music. Mm-hmm. So it makes sense. Yeah. If people are going to want to dance to something, they're going to want to buy it. So it becomes popular. Yeah. And, you know, I, I think for anyone who's into finding like really obscure music, I think this genre is actually kind of a a goldmine for that because i mean like the ones we've talked mm-hmm. about today and not to say that any of these are well known by any means because they're not but you could find ones that are even less known than these uh within this genre because i mean like I, I think wikipedia had a list of i want to just a spitball i think they had maybe like a list of like a hundred songs or something like that that are kind of in the genre um so there's definitely more to listen to mm-hmm. um but there's also like a long list of other musical artists that were, were were trying this i do i do feel pretty strongly that this group that we've listened to today is pretty well rounded in terms of like where the genre was going mm-hmm. but uh yeah I, I think for anyone interested in learning more about this I, there's definitely more to kind of dig up <laughs> online crate digging if you will i suppose yeah 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 I'd, I'd be curious like what some of these original vinyls are going for you know like, who doesn't want Challenger by Baby's Gang? 
You should look that up right now, live on Funk Radio. I can't uh, imagine they're that expensive. Unless... Oh my god. <laughs> Baby's Gang Challenger, the LP album in near mint condition, is $169. Oh my god. So, what I was gonna... The second half of what I was gonna say was, I can't imagine they're too expensive unless... There is a less by the nature of just rarity. Yeah. Uh, that's pretty impressive. I would not have guessed that. Um, However, uh, the Kano album uh, that you uh, yeah. first played, uh, is you can find it, uh, you know, decent, decent uh, version of it. Very good for 10 bucks. Oh, okay. I, I got the impression so. that that one sold fairly well. So I guess it would make sense that... Uh, it would be a little bit more cheap that you know the the baby's gang thing that being their only album i'm sure there there weren't a ton of copies of that that made their way around so true here we go klein plus nbo dirty talk oh it's a you can get the single for seven bucks that's not bad it's not terrible i think the work that these people were doing was you know while itself was not you know remembered by a lot of people directly i think it was extremely inspirational to the people who would you know be known as kind of like the early electronic artists yeah yeah throughout you know i would say probably depending on which subgenre of that you want to pick from you know maybe late 80s early 90s mm-hmm. and i i'm pretty positive that you know a lot of early electronic artists did pull directly from even the songs that we are listening to today so it's, um, you know, if you consider electronic music today, I, I don't really see any evidence of anything like this. Um, yeah. Maybe a little bit of like Daft Punk and stuff. Yeah. Um, I mean, maybe the vocoder is probably the closest thing you could come to any semblance of what you might hear now. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it would almost be interesting now to go listen to some of that earliest electronic music and see if there was like a closer tie to some of this. Um, True. So anyway, uh, that's about everything i wanted to talk about today um was there anything you wanted to touch on no i think i'm good i mean it is it, it is interesting how this genre kind of was born out of i mean you know a lot of people can argue that disco was kind of a failed genre because mm-hmm. after it died it didn't really go on to influence very much but the fact that this genre kind of grew out of that and basically would become the uh, defining sound of you know '80s music mm-hmm. uh, is pretty interesting. So. Yeah, and I think I think this is a good example of a, a genre that was like historically important in the sense that it made the groundwork for genres that did become extremely popular. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I I think these are kind of like footnotes in history, if you will, um, that a lot of people don't think about. But I think I think they're worth talking about for sure. So. Uh, if you listeners want to tell us something, go to uh, facebook.com slash getyourfunk and tell us something. Uh, that's an extremely vague prompt, so you should almost certainly have something to say. No excuses. <laughs> if you'd rather uh, listen to some of the other episodes we've done, perhaps on other musical genres that we've discussed, you can go to getyourfunk.com and you'll find our entire catalog of episodes from the last several years we've talked about a lot, of, a lot of different things thanks for listening everybody tune in next time maybe we'll talk about a different topic that 
skirts around synth music. Mm-hmm. Maybe. Okay. Cool. So yeah, this has been your host, Kyle. And this has been your host, Peter. And you have been, can you guess it? The listener. I almost said, can you guess it, listeners? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, whatever. Swiper, stop swiping. Listeners, stop listening. Because it's the end of the episode. Bye. (laughs) Bye.